the year 1953. A plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Ersam and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is on Sherbet and their classic mega hit, How's That? Our special guest is the band's bass player and co-writer of How's That, Tony Mitchell. How's that? You messed about, I caught you up. How's that? Sherbet was formed by lead guitarist Clive Shakespeare in Sydney in April 1969. The band would go on to become one of the most successful Australian acts of all time. Led by vocalist Daryl Braithwaite, Sherbet had 20 consecutive singles make the ARIA charts, 12 of these going top 10, including two number one hits. Their amazing chart success wasn't just confined to singles either. All up they released 13 studio, live and compilation albums, with 10 of these making the top 10. Sherbert went through a number of membership changes before settling on the classic lineup when Tony joined the band in January 1972. By that stage, the band had already signed a recording contract with the Infinity label, a subsidiary of Festival Records. The band's debut single was Can You Feel It Baby, and it was released in August 1971. It reached number 22 on the national charts. released another single in December 71, just prior to Tony joining Sherbet. It was a cover of the Delaney and Bonnie tune, Free the People. This song was a top five hit in Sydney, but the single was virtually ignored by the rest of the country, only just managing to make the national top 40, reaching number 36. Before joining Sherbet, Tony was in the Sydney band Wheelbarrow. They released one single, Dame Zara, in December 1969. 
He left Wheelbarrow to join the band Harry Young and Sabbath and they achieved some success with three of their singles making the top 40, including the top 10 hit Weed in the Field. The old saying goes, right time, right place, and this certainly applies to how Tony came to join forces with Sherbet. Bass player Bruce Worrell and the band parted company one night in January 1972, and Tony was invited to become a member of the emerging group. On the night that my band, I was in another band called Harry Young and Sabbath, and we split up on that very night. I was playing at the same place as what Sherbet were playing at, which was Whiskey Go-Go in uh, William Street, King's Cross. And so when, when uh, our band broke up, uh, they were having a bit of an argument with their bass player upstairs. Uh, and I already knew them because we played with them before. So I walked upstairs and I thought, oh, what's going on here? There's a bit of an argument going on with the bass player. He said, well, I'm leaving then, and off he went. And then Clive came over to me and said, what are you doing, Tone? And I said, well, my band split up, so... Not a lot at the moment. He said, you want to join the band? I said, yeah, which is like right place, right time. So I was very lucky, wasn't I? Sherbet's lineup now consisted of Tony, Clive, Daryl, keyboardist Garth Porter and drummer Alan Sandow. Within a few short weeks, Tony was on tour with the band supporting fellow iconic Aussie group Daddy Cool. Well, it was fantastic. It was really early on on in the piece, but... Um, the, the first tour we did three weeks, I mean, after I joined the band, we had some rehearsals and three weeks after that, I went on tour with Daddy Cool. We supported Daddy Cool through Victoria and New South Wales. So all of a sudden we were playing in front of lots of people. Following the Daddy Cool tour, Sherbert got the support gig for one of the most popular bands in the history of rock and roll, Credence Clearwater Revival. Led by John Fogarty, Credence was at the height of their fame when they toured Australia. And for Sherbet, it gave them the chance to play in front of some massive crowds, including playing large outdoor venues like Ramwick Racecourse and Subiaco Oval in Western Australia. A few months after that, um, we got the job of um, supporting Credence and all of a sudden we're playing in front of 50,000 people, you know. So it was, it was really great for our career and have so early on in our career to have that many people see us playing, you know. And I met Stu Cook and uh, the other guy, uh, Doug uh, Clifford, the bass player and drummer from Greetings. I didn't meet John Fogarty, unfortunately, but they weren't travelling together in those days. They'd had a couple of fallouts with, with, with each other and so they'd travel separately. But they, they were fantastic. We were able to walk on and do our stuff in front of so many people and that was a massive boost to our uh, popularity. We just went from zero to bang, crash, boom. Off we went, you know. Sherbet were now battle-hardened, with 1972 and 73 seeing the band hit new heights of fame as they continued their run of chart success, releasing You're All Woman.
Your Royal Woman was written by Ted Maury and was a national hit, coming in at number 13. Episode 1 of Awesome Aussie Songs is on the Ted Maury gang, and they were tour mates and drinking partners of Sherbet. Completing the full circle, Tony is now a member of the Ted Maury gang, replacing the late Ted on bass, and he continues to tour Australia with TMG. The band's next single, You've Got the Gun, was released in December 1972, and it reached number 29. Sherbet's debut album was Time Change is a Natural Progression. One of the first originals we came up with was With You've Got the Gun, and, uh, and that immediately proved to people that we could be very different and uh, get a side across that, uh, you know, get, get the music across and something across that wasn't just pop. It was beyond that. It was a, a bit more than that. Uh, I wasn't really writing much then. And so I was just learning really uh, about that. And Clive and Garth were doing all the writing. So uh, I was just sort of taking heed and watching what was going on and how they did it and getting invited to sessions here and there. But I wasn't real good at it in the early days. Mind you, I did come up with the bass riff on uh, on You've Got the Gun and, and the melody and the phrasing. But um, because I was so naive in those days, I didn't really get a songwriting credit for that. But um, uh we sorted that out. That was my, you know, it was my fault that I didn't follow that through. But um, basically I just sat there and I watched how they did it and every now and then I'd sit in on, on a, they'd invite me to uh, the songwriting sessions and I'd add a little here and there and a little there and uh, I learned to write as we went along. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was, um, I could tell, um you know, when we when we bought You've Got the Gun Out, I could tell the audience were going, oh, this is different. This was a lot different than Free the People and Can You Feel It? And it was a very highly original song. So, um, and, and we got through. We got through to the people. They, they really liked it and it became a hit. the Elvis Presley song Hound Dog became the next hit for Sherbet, coming in at number 21.
Tony's parents were big supporters of his musical dream, and they could often be found at Sherbet concerts, sitting quietly as mass hysteria went on around them. Loved it. You know, mum and dad used to come to the Sherbet concerts at the Horton Pavilion and stuff like that, you know. You, could, you couldn't half pick them. They'd be sitting in the third row with screaming girls everywhere, and there's mum and dad sitting there watching us, and you could see the light bouncing off their glasses, you know. <laughs> Sherbet's next release, Cassandra, became the band's biggest hit to date, making it to number five. The band's second full-length record was on with the show, and it reached number six on the Australian album charts. His solo career just keeps on keeping on, and there's no doubting that the vocal ability of Daryl Braithwaite sees him ranked up there amongst Australia's finest singers. He does have that range that Stevie Winwood has, you know, that that sort of area, you know. He can get right up above top C and he can still do it now. Um, he's, he's singing now as, as well as he ever sang, I reckon. You know, um, it's amazing. His career has been incredible. Um you know, he really gave it, he really, really gave it, you know, to have him at the head of your band was, well, it was like having, a, you know, the Flying Scotsman at the head of the train, you know what I mean? It was just fantastic, you know, it was just brilliant. And um, he's always been a great singer, but he's de- very different, very unique, and you can always tell a Sherbet song with Daryl. You can always go, yep, that's Daryl. And it was the same with the guitar players, you know, Clive was very different. And so was Harvey, you know, awesome guitar players, you know. So uh, we were very blessed. The run of chart success continued in 1974 when Slipstream made it to number seven. With you by my Aside from setting the charts alight with a string of gold and platinum records, Sherbet were also winning awards such as taking out the TV King of Pop Award for the best band. Daryl was also crowned King of Pop three years in a row, from 75 to 77. Sherbet topped the prestigious Go Set Pole. The band also won the national final of the Holy Battle of the Sounds, broadcast Australia-wide on TV. The national band competition had previously been won by acts including The Twilights, The Group, 
Doug Parkinson in Focus, as well as Fraternity with pre-ACDC Bon Scott on vocals. Sherbet was certainly in good company winning the top prize of this highly regarded event. Silver Moon reached number 9. The single was on the Slipstream album. This record also came in at number 5 on the album's charts. It was the era of glam rock, and Sherbet certainly played their part in the Saturn invasion. They had high hair and even higher boots, and when it came to wearing Saturn, there was Saturn everywhere. Jumpsuits and bomber jackets, Sherbet looked the part. Yeah, that's exactly what, well, it was a glam rock band. You know, and we followed the trend. You know, we, we, loved, we loved getting dressed up, and we loved um, the flamboyance on stage, you know, big lights and bubble machines and crazy shit, you know. Uh, and really dressing up and sort of putting on the Ritz kind of thing. We had makeup artists and we had um, – it was really important to us, you know. We always hired um, the greatest photographers and, you know, Philip Morris and Bob King always was there photographing us. In March 1975, Sherbert took out the biggest prize of them all when they released Summer Love and it became the band's first number one hit. We'll have a full episode on Summer Love down the track, but here's some of the song.
Sherbet released a live album, Sherbet in Concert, and then followed up its success with Sherbet's greatest hits, 1970-75. The compilation album took the charts by storm and went on to become the band's first national number one album. The band rounded out 1975 by releasing another full-length record, Life is for the Living. This album made it to number six on the charts and featured three more top ten singles. And the double A sided only one year. I'll spend my life with you. Always true. Only you understand the man that I am. And I know in my life there is only one you. And I know in my life there is only one you. And I know in my life there is only one you. And on the flip side, Matter of Time coming in at number six in November. Life in a band as successful as Sherbet meant spending most of their waking hours together, whether it was touring, rehearsing or recording. Yeah, look, um, we were best mates because we spent eight months of the year on the road together. I knew the band better than I knew my own brothers, you know, pretty much because that's how how much time we spent together. We were forever playing on the road. And then when we weren't on the road, we were at home writing, jamming and writing and doing the next album. We came up at least once a year with an album. One year we had two albums, I think, one at the beginning of the year and then we'd finished another one before the end of the year. So that's a lot of work and you have to spend a lot of time with, with your mates. So there's obviously going to be a few bingles here and there, but really over that long space of time, there was hardly anything. It, it was really great that we could all get on so well and um, we and we made we really tried hard to do that, and and we did it pretty well, I reckon. In January 1976, the world of Sherbet fans was rocked when it was announced that Clive Shakespeare was leaving the band. The group's last single released with Clive was Child's Play, and it also became another hit, reaching number five on the charts. Children. 
rush away Maybe we can learn from what they say The band's chart success was built on the strength of the songwriting of Clive and Garth. The critics wondered out loud if this was the end of Sherbet. However, the best was yet to come. With Garth looking for a new songwriting partner, Tony stepped up and filled Clive's impressively large shoes. When writing the song, it took them a while to fully complete How's That, but they sure had fun during the downtime. No, well, we did write the song together, but it was Garth that, that got the ball rolling, as he always does. He's, he's a great innovator and... And um, I think Garth's the most pr- prolific songwriter on the planet. He's written more songs that's been published than anyone in the world. So um, uh, it was great to have him start it all off. And he started with that bass riff. I didn't think of that. But when the chorus came, we could never get one. We could get, we could go, how, how, how's that? Then we go into a tango like a bunch of idiots, start dancing with each other. <laughs> and then after that, we'd have a bottle of port because we couldn't get any chords for it. Then one day I just turned up about five months later or it was months later, I turned up with those chords for the chorus and that we knew then that we got it, you know. And uh, it was great for me to be a big part of that, so... Um, I was very pleased because the press were kind of having a crack at us and going, oh, you're finished and, you know, we're going, yeah, like hell we are. And um, and we had our biggest hit then. When it came to writing the missing part of How's That's Chorus, Tony finally had the eureka moment. I was just sitting at home and I had my guitar and I went, ding, uh, 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 how's that? And I went to the C minor. I went, That's right. Then I went, I'll go to an F minor, I'll do it like a funky thing. And I'll see how that works. And it worked. I went, that works. That bloody works. I'm going to phone Porter up. Or I used to call him Potter then. I'm going, to, I'm going to phone Potter up and lay it on him. I'm coming over. He said, oh, no, I'm, I've got to go out. So I said, no, I've got the chorus. He said, okay, come over. And I went over and, you know, and we put two and two together, those two bits together, and it worked. We knew we had something. So uh, we were pretty excited. And that's before we even presented it to the band. And what do you do when you finally write that soon-to-be worldwide smash hit? Well, Garth had the answer. Well, we, we thought it worked. You know, we went, That's, that definitely works. I said, what are we going to do now? He said, what we normally do when we do the chorus, when we never do the chorus, we go downstairs, he's got the, his wine stack is under the house, right? We go down there and we, it's, you've got to sort of crawl through that's like a half door. Then you get inside, you can stand up. It's all under – that's where his wine cellars are. We just went in there and opened a couple of bottles of wine and drank them. Following Clive's departure from the band, guitarist Gunter Gorman filled in and helped Sherbet continue on the road. Harvey James joined the band permanently soon after, 
as Clive's replacement. That's right, and um, Harvey wasn't in the band yet. We went and saw Harvey supporting um, Rod Stewart. I, th- I remember we were in Adelaide. We went to see him supporting Rod Stewart in a band called Mississippi, which they'd spelt wrong on the poster. Had Mississippi. I said, "Who's?" I said, "Who's this band, Mississippi?" Someone said, "Oh, it's supposed to be Mississippi." We went in there. It was Harvey with, um, you know, the precursor to the Little River Band. All the boys from Little River Band, Goebbels and Beeb and. And we thought, geez, what a bloody guitar player. He's awesome. Anyway, we spoke and talked and anything after the show, met him. And then we got a letter. I I was living with Roger at the time and we had our offices downstairs in the house and a letter came to the house and was Harvey sent us a letter going, I want to join your band. And we wrote back saying, bloody oath, fly up now. So he flew up and he went into the studio. We'd already recorded how's that. And he put the guitar down over the top and just did that solo. Had a couple of runs and did that solo. We went, that's it, you're in, you know. And off we went. That was a massive hit in Australia, hitting the coveted number one position and staying in the charts for 21 weeks. The band's fifth full-length studio album was also called Hazat, and Tony and Garth co-wrote nine of the album's 11 songs. Daryl and Alan also contributed to its writing. Just like the single, the album reached number one on the Australian charts. For Tony, hearing his own song on the radio for the very first time was always a special moment. Oh, it was exciting, you know. It was really exciting. Uh, and what it always was, whenever we wrote something and then it, we put it out and, and you know, we, uh, we were, we're thinking, okay, 3XY or 2SM, someone's going to play it. Someone's bound to play it. It's really good. And you'd hear it and we all went, yeah, you know, we're sitting in a car going somewhere, you know. It was terrific. But it doesn't beat the first time you ever heard yourself on radio. That's my first time I ever heard myself um was when I was uh, just turned 17, I think. I had a song called um, Dame Zara and and it was a song written by uh, our guitar player at the time. I was in a band called Wheelbarrow. My brother was the drummer. And what it was, Dame Zara Holt had a love loss column in, in, the, in the newspaper and she used to advise people who were find, finding it hard being in love or trying to be in love. She'd write back to them and, go, look, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? One day we looked at this, uh, our, our, sing, our guy wrote it, looked at this letter written to her and it looked like a poem. So we just grabbed that and asked her if we could and she said, yep. We grabbed it and just stuck music to it. And then when we, and then it was first played on a radio station called 2UE, and, um, which is still going today because I think they're a big talkback station. And it was on the Sammy Sparrow show early in the morning and I heard it on the radio in our kitchen in mum's house, the old Chrysler radio, and I just went, I'm on radio, yeah, you know. It was really great. My whole family was there because we knew they were going to play it so we all got together 
Dad got the beer. Dad, Dad got the beer out of the fridge. I'm going, Dad. It's you know, it's seven o'clock in the morning. He said, oh, "Who cares? Let's go." You know, <laughs> and consequently, um, they had a competition called the most hated song of the month, and it became the most hated song of that month. Everyone, nobody liked it. We loved it. I loved it. It had a full orchestra on it and everything. It's actually a really good song. I'm really proud to play it to anybody. You know, obviously, the sport most associated with how's that is cricket. Never has a song fitted a sport better. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun song, and it they, it wasn't us that came up with the cricket side of it, but it, it was kind of novel that that that's how the lyrics were written, you know. And and it was at the time at that time that was the um, Dennis Lillian Tomo years where cricket was massive. I mean, when I say massive, bigger than it is now. When I say bigger, I mean it was. Everyone knew Lily and Tomo. Everybody knew who was in the cricket team. No, no, it's a song about a, you know, it's it's a song about a guy telling a girl that she's an idiot and get lost. That's what it is. Love lost song. It's nothing to do with cricket, except messed about. I caught you out. That that's that's what got, um, that's what got the cricket thing in. You know, and it was at that time. You see, and I remember Lily. We met we met the boys at the airport one day. And, he came up and said, I really like that song. The happy cricket coincidence was well received by the band and when they toured country towns, the Sherbet cricket team would take on the local bush cricket clubs as charity fundraisers. While various members of the band were handy cricketers, Tony preferred to stick to the 12th man role. The other thing is that our, our band were actually good cricket. I was and I was absolutely hopeless. I was the orange boy, you know, the water boy. But everyone else... Like Daryl's a great cricketer. He's a fast bowler. You don't want to be in a batsman when Daryl's bowling. And Roger, Roger Davies, is a great batsman and a great wicketkeeper and bowler. Harvey was a really good bowler. And when we had um, uh, the gunner in in our in our band, uh, he was a great cricket player. So what we used to do, we used to go. Um, when we were on tour, we used to challenge people when we got to town. Like, for instance, when we went to Port Lincoln, we challenged the Port Lincoln Police Department that we could beat them in cricket. They went, yeah, you, like hell you can. So what we'd do is we'd advertise that. We'd go to the radio station. Thousands of people would turn up and there'd be it'd be a big deal and we'd be playing them cricket and we beat them. And because um, we had our own pads and our cricket gear and everything, I wasn't much interested in it. I'm definitely not a sportsman. And um, I just used to take the drinks on or drink them before they went on, you know. <laughs> Sherbet weren't just riding high in Australia either. The song became a huge international hit throughout Europe and Asia. How's that top the charts all over the world, going to number one in countries that included South Africa, Israel and New Zealand. And it was a top five hit in the Netherlands, Thailand and Norway. It was in the UK that the song had its biggest impact. For Tony, the trajectory of How's That becoming a hit record in the UK was straight out of a scene from the English TV show, Minder. Oh, it was a great feeling because it wasn't just a hit in Australia. It was, um, I remember one, when we recorded it and we were editing it because it was a bit long, this guy from England uh, came out and he was a talent scout for uh, Rocket, uh, for um, I think it was Elton John's label. And also his talent scout for CBS in England, and um, he heard it. He came. He said, "Do you mind if I? Do you mind if I have a look?" It was like um, um, show with Dennis Waterman, and the very first one he did with 
Yeah, he was he was George Cole. He had the black suit on, the white tie, and he was a real – he had that real cockney. Well, come on, boys, and, you know, I mean, let, let me have a listen, you know. Come on now, I've got to have a listen. And he heard it. He said, you know what, that's a bleeding hit, you know. He, he disappeared for two hours and just kept listening to it. And he came back. He said, when are you coming over? We said, well, we've got a trip planned for about two months. He said, I guarantee you by the time you get there, it'll be in the top 40. And sure enough, we got off the plane. Instead of getting a, a, a taxi to the hotel, to a crappy hotel, he said, I, I changed the booking for you. I've got you at the Intercontinental. I've got a couple of limos for you. It's in. It's number 38. I went in at 38. Within a couple of weeks, was in the top 10. So and I got to number two and I stayed there for some time. So it was a big hit. We did an enormous amount of radio and TV stuff. That's all we did every single day. We're out doing all day from 9 o'clock till six o'clock at night just doing interviews non-stop for for months and i really loved that because we we got to go everywhere you know we got to go to edinburgh and oh just everywhere on the american billboard hot 100 how's that reached number 62 however it was far different in europe sherbert were now bona fide pop stars we went on the tony blackburn show quite a few times and tony blackburn was like um then he was the biggest radio DJ in, in Europe, you know. So if you got on his show, you, you were getting somewhere. So um, we went on that a few times. We went on TV. We got on Top of the Pops twice. We did this. We did other TV shows that we went on and people treated us. We went on the Basil Brush show a couple of times. That was great, the Basil Brush show. He's a puppet, right? He's a fox. And at the time, Basil Brush was the, one of the biggest shows in the world. It was massive. And and the guy that does him would have to hop under a table and put his arm up through a hole with the puppet on the top, you know. And uh, we heard that he, he didn't mind a scotch every now and then. And we met him as a great guy. And in those days, the BBC, as soon as you, before you start the show, you go to the bar. And when you finish the show, you go to the bar. <laughs> so it was a bit like that, the whole team, you know. Oh, jolly good, you know, let's have another one, you know. Oh, it was really fabulous. It was great. It's the best thing you could do. And later on in life, um, we toured with the Hollies. We supported the Hollies and um, who are my, one of my all-time favourite bands ever. And they were the nicest guys on the planet. Um, we became close friends and we toured all over Scandinavia and Germany with them. And then they went back home for six weeks. We stayed in Germany and toured ourselves with other bands. Then we met up again in Canada and toured right across Canada with them. So it took a year and a half to do that or a year, something like that. So um, those kind of things you don't forget. And we were playing all the time, pretty much nonstop. We played everywhere in Germany, everywhere in Scandinavia, you can imagine, every country. We played in Finland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden. It was just fabulous. On the business side of things, a large part of Sherbet's success was due to their manager, Roger Davies. A fellow Aussie go-getter, Davies would go on to manage international superstars such as Tina Turner, Sher, Joe Cocker and Pink, just to name a few. He also guided Olivia Newton-John. With the band now based in the UK, the machine that was Sherbet Inc. continued to roll on in Australia, with Roger manning the phones to keep the band front and centre back home. And the phone, the phone bills. Oh my God! When we stayed in um, London, with the house that time, we were we were in the house at um, 
was at Lancaster Gate. Half the band was there in the house and the other half was in flats down the road. And the bill, the phone bill from Lancaster Gate was £14,000. It then, in 1976, 14,000 pounds. But it had to be because they didn't have mobile sent and you had to ring on a landline. And I didn't talk much on the phone, but Roger had to do all the business on the phone. And that's how, you, that's how we did it. We had to pay the bill. Hansat's producer was Richard Lush. Before immigrating from England to Australia, he had worked at the famed Abbey Road Studios with the Beatles. Working alongside Sir George Martin, he was involved in over 100 Beatle recording sessions. In 1990, Sherbet were inducted into the Yaria Hall of Fame. Sadly, Harvey died in 2011, and less than 12 months later, Clive also passed away. For their fans, the music and legend of Sherbet will live on forever. Okay, that's enough of the talk. Here's How's That by Sherbet.
Thanks for listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. Thanks to Tony for your time, and thanks to Sherbet for the music. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions. Written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! It's such a beautiful